I think there is some bogus things that people who are believers believe, and I want to try to correct that in this series. So last week, we started a new series called Nonsense, and we corrected the erroneous belief that God won't give you more than you can handle. We believe that to be patently false (laughs) and that every page of scripture tells the story in the opposite direction, that God allows those things in our lives. But one of the things that I recognize is that God, as it says in Psalm 23, he is a good shepherd and he leads us through the valley. I referenced another person's message last week, another minister who was preaching, and he said this, don't get a mortgage in the valley. You're not staying there permanently, amen? And so I believe that firmly, uh, but I believe that anything that we go through in this life with God, it is much better than if we tried to go alone. So I wanna refresh your memory about the verses of scripture that we started with last week, and then we're gonna go into today's message. Paul is talking to the Colossians in chapter two of Colossians, And he's warning them, he's talking about them growing in their faith, and he warns them not to be taken captive by empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. So verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2 says this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Everybody say, follow him. We must continue. Once we've accepted him, we must continue to follow him. Verse 7 says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And so that's really the the capstone or the cornerstone of what I want to deliver to you in the next couple weeks and finishing out this series is talking about those things that are empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. How many of you have ever had someone tell you something that you knew was nonsense? Okay, Now, that's an easy hand raise. Let me ask you this. How many of you, if you're honest, have ever spoken nonsense? (laughs) Okay. You just made up the answer as you went along or something, right? Okay. That's That's what happens to believers sometimes as well when we start looking at the the influence of the world or even believers who maybe are not grounded in the word of God. They come up with this crazy stuff and then we start to walk in the what we believe is the truth of that, but then we find out it is not so true. So today, the second message in the series is this, God just wants me to be happy. If you stayed home today and you watched some of the TV personalities that, I don't call them preachers, but some of them, but okay. If you, if you watch church on TV today, you might hear a message that involves what I would call the prosperity gospel of, oh, if you just come to God, he's going to bless your life so much that you'll have extra and you'll this and you'll that. Your pain goes away. The cancer will be cured. Everything in your life will be a-okay after you come to him. The, the truth of that is that this life is tough. 
it is tough for those who believe in God, and it's tougher for those who do not believe in God. But I, I take issue with this thought, and this was really popular years ago, but I think people still behave like this with this thought of God just wants me to be happy. It's a common misconception about him that he exists just to be our personal genie. And so if we're honest with ourselves in this moment and not pointing the finger at somebody else that we've heard of or talked to before who's said something wrong about this issue, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we pray like this and we believe this. That God is our personal genie and his goal in his life is to make our lives a-okay and way better than anything else. And some people have even justified sinful actions by saying, God just wants me to be happy. There have been couples who have gotten divorced because one of them said, well, doesn't God just want me to be happy? I need to, no, uh, hello, <laughs> uh, he does in the confines of your marriage that you already committed to, he wants you to be happy. But people have used that as a justification. So I don't want you as a believer to use that as a justification for any kind of sinful action, but I also want you to think about this right. Okay? We could call this series Right Thinking because that's what we're trying to give you. Happiness, as we commonly understand it today, it's tied to feelings and emotions that are based on circumstances. An easy way to think about it is like this. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy is eternal. Uh, I can be happy that it's raining today or happy that it's sunny today. I can be happy that I got a raise at my job. I can be happy that somebody bought me lunch this week. I can, those are circumstances that happen in my life and that's what I can put all of my eggs in that basket and put all my hope there. Or I can think about it in terms of an eternal joy that lives inside of me when I have God in my life that does not change with the weather. Amen? And so we really need to think about this clearly. The problem is our circumstances change all the time. I mean, this week, your circumstances changed. Something you planned didn't work out. Um, I had a day recently, not too long ago, uh, where I spilled coffee on myself on the way out the door. Man, that just burned me up. And I had a few minutes where I was angry driving. And then I said, you know what? I can't let that, you know, frustrate the rest of my day. Uh, this past week, I had something frustra frustrating happen. I was running late already, and I couldn't find the keys that I need for the business that I'm supposed to open. And so, and I'm the only one who's going to be there at 8.30 to open up the doors. It's 8.15, and I am driving under the cloak of heavenly guidance. That means very fast, and no cops caught me. Um, all the way through Clinton to go check the other vehicle where my wife is to make sure I didn't leave the keys in there. Then drive all the way back to the house, which I've already torn up to locate the keys. And then I look in my other pair of pants and they were there. And I'm not that guy. Like they're usually in the same place, the same time each time. But it just, it ruined that part of the morning. So we have an opportunity. What I'm getting at is we have an opportunity when circumstances change to stay even keeled and to just trust God. And you say, well, pastor, you're talking about spilling coffee or losing keys. Those things upset you. 
<laughs> Boy, it just ugh, gets you mad. How about getting denied the special interest rate for the mortgage or for the car that you were hoping to get? How about when a circumstance changed, like you planned a party and then it rains that day? You know, there, there are those things that based on the circumstance, we can be, um, I use this in a casual way, not in the uh, medical terminology way, but we can be bipolar. We can be up and down, be happy this day and really low the next day. And we don't need to be that way. Though our circumstances change, God does not. Our God does not change. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he does desire that we have joy. I want you to get it right in your head. He desires that you have joy, but his end goal is not just to make you happy. And I think we need to think this way when we pray and when we share our faith with others, because you don't want to do the bait and switch and tell them, what they might hear on TV, you want to tell them the honest to God's truth that your life is still tough with God, but it would be so much worse if you did not have him with you because God allows those things to happen in our lives. So we can't get this twisted around. It's important to understand that God doesn't give us everything we want exactly when we want it and how we want it. If he did... His name would be Grandpa or Santa Claus, (laughs) right? So you've got to think about it in the, and I tell you as a parent, I've had plenty of moments where I've been excited to see the happiness on my children's face. But there are times, and specifically every Sunday after church when there's a decision about what to eat for lunch, that it just might not go their way. And they, I'm okay with it. I'm not okay with it when it doesn't go my way. Well, let me just keep it in this, this idea of it doesn't, God doesn't give us everything that we want exactly when we want it and how we want it because he's a father, not a grandfather. He's not a genie or a grandfather. And wouldn't you agree fathers have a different role than grandfathers? Can I hear an amen from a grandfather? <laughs> Fathers teach responsibility. They teach discipline. There are punishments for, you know, misdeeds and things like that. They are leading and grooming the lives of the children that God has given them to raise. Grandpas get to just spend money on them and spoil them and have fun and let them eat two pounds of candy. And then, hey, let's go back to mommy's. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. They get to do all of that stuff. I can't wait to be a grandpa someday. <laughs> It's worth remembering that God is a good father. In the Old Testament, happiness and joy are mentioned. And I want to tell you something that you might not be aware of. There are 12 or 13 different words that are translated in the scripture that all relate to the same point. So when you read the word happy in scripture or when you read the word blessed In the majority of scripture, it could be translated happy or joyful. So think about this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is delivering his message called the Sermon on the Mount. And when he's speaking, he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What is he saying? He literally is saying, if you look in the original language, happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who are meek. Happy are those who are merciful to others. 
happy are the peacemakers. And we don't like to look at the last verse that he shares there, the last statement. But he says, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. That's balance, y'all. <laughs> that's, that's what we need in this Christian life. We need this. So the people of God in the, in the Bible had times of rejoicing when they celebrated the feast of the Lord in Numbers chapter 10. I'll give you another example. God's help in a battle, in every battle really, but in this specific battle in 2 Chronicles 20, it says the people were exuberant. They were happy with the result because God was on their side. And they knew it. Man, doesn't that build your confidence when you know that God is on your side and that he makes a way where there seems to be no way. The knowledge of the nearness and the protection of God in times of need brings joy. I've referenced it and won't go into it today, but the season that my wife and I have lived through, we found greater joy than we had prior. I want you to hear me, church. I have greater joy having walked through the valley of my version of the shadow of death than I did in the moment of getting a phone call that said, we're wiring your church $150,000. I want you to understand that joy is possible. It's a choice in the midst of what you go through. So the nearness and the protection of God in times, in moments of your need and in distress is really what produces joy. In fact, Psalm 16 verse 9 says, my heart is glad and my whole body rejoices. This is what he says. So even God is seen as rejoicing in his works, that he's happy with what he's made in his people. Psalm 104 and 147 and the New Testament, it opens, those are Old Testament references, but the New Testament opens with Luke chapter 2. And we'll be talking about that soon, sooner than you think, because that's the story of the nativity. It opens with the verses in verse 10 and 11 that say this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So you've got to see this, that joy is an eternal quality that you can continue to choose to use. And it doesn't have to be based on your circumstance. Paul the Apostle was stuck in a jail. He was writing letters and he said, my heart is overjoyed. It's full. In the midst of his persecution, he still had that sense that God's presence was with him and it brought him joy. So God is not on the opposite side, hoping that he has a bunch of sad, angry followers. If you've ever met one, I have. Somebody who said, you know, it's kind of like Jesus or God made me this way. No, he didn't. You're choosing to have an ugly attitude and be sour to everyone around you. Don't blame God on that account, right? So the, the, the point is that when the angel delivers this news, he says, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy that are going to be for all people. If you make the connection there, Christ, the Son of God, is the source of joy Amen. for all people. He can be for all people. 
So no matter what we try to fill our lives with, nothing else can produce the same joy. I had joy at the birth of both of our children. I had joy on the day of my wedding. I had joy at different moments in my life. But nothing can produce the joy that we need outside of God. So in John chapter 15, verse 11, we're told that when we abide in Christ, we will have the fullness of joy. At no point in scripture do we find people are joyful or happy over insignificant things. So I want you to think right about this. It's always connected to God and what he's done for them, to them, or in them. That's when people get really excited and joy fills them. It's because of that. And the psalmist declares in Psalm 16, verse 11, that there's fullness of joy in God's presence. It says there, there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this means joy is present in my life when I am experiencing God's presence in my life. That, that he's the source. C.S. Lewis wrote it and he said it like this in his book, Mere Christianity. I just love this thought that he writes down. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves by their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God and apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. And he lists out some things that he believes are the source or the, the attempt of humanity to find a source of joy. And these are, this is the list. Money. He says poverty is a result. Ambition. War. Prostitution. Classes. Empires. Slavery. And the list goes on and on. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. And if you're like me, you've attempted to do that at some point in your life. Attempted to fill yourself with something other than God. But C.S. Lewis continues with this last thought, and he says, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. So authentic joy, true joy that is really found and can be experienced by you as a believer can, well, I would say it like this, can only be experienced if you are a believer. Otherwise, you're stuck in the cycle of happiness based on your circumstances for the rest of your life. So let me say this to you. If you sense your joy has been depleted, maybe you've been waiting and living from moment of happiness to moment of happiness, I challenge you to spend more time in God's presence. Because I really believe that we can allow Him to restore to us our joy. In fact, the psalmist writes down and says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Help me to remember that moment. So authentic and lasting joy cannot be found in any other person, any other place, or any other thing, but God. So you're not missing joy, you're missing God. That's... That's what we have to recognize for ourselves 
in the moments of our life that we are struggling, that we are not missing out on joy, that it's some sort of elusive thing that we can't find somewhere, we must understand it can be found and will only be found in the presence of God. Don't forget the joy is listed in Galatians chapter 5. Can anybody tell me the fruit of the Spirit? No, don't sing it. Love. Joy, thank you. I'm not going to go through the rest of it. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right? Did I get them all? Okay. So, thank you. No. Um, The idea is that joy is only available to those who are spiritually renewed and restored. That's the truth. If we believe that God just wants us to be happy, what we end up doing is relegating him to a genie or a grandfather, and he is neither one of those things. But I sincerely believe, based on the testimony of Scripture, based on the history of my life and my own experiences, that he is indeed a good father. He's a better father than I ever will be. That song has been sung and maybe oversung and overdone. But there's a worship song calling him and speaking about him as a good father. And that is the recognition we should have. Although sometimes we fall into that pattern of believing him to be a good grandfather. We need to correct that thinking. Everything he does is for your good. Everything. He does is for your good. So Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is another verse in scripture that just burns me up because people always say, well, you know, it's going to work out. It's everything's going to work out. God works all things together for good. No, that's not the finish line. That's not the end. He works all things together for the good of those who are serving him, who love him, who are following him, who are called according to his purpose. So God loves when you're happy, but that is not his end goal. Let me give you three quick things you should know. The first is this. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Holiness, holy means to be set apart for God. God wants you and I to live like that. And his desire has not waned since the days of Adam. His desire then moved from Adam all the way to Abraham and continued that same pattern that I will have a people who are set apart for me. Adam messed it up. Others have messed it up, but God's desire has always been to have a holy people. And the only way we can be holy is with his help. Amen. God wants you and I to live lives that please him. Look at what first Peter chapter one, verse 13 says, it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I think the world would be a better place if Christians actually prayed a prayer from their heart every day 
God, help me to be holy today. And if they listened to the Holy Spirit warning them in moments where they started veering off that path, the world could actually shake and change and maybe the entire world gets saved as a result of God's people living holy because that's the desire of God's heart is not just that he's selfish and says, I want some people I can call my own. He wants everyone to be called his own. That's the whole idea. Number two is this. God wants you to trust him. Think about people in the Bible, Abraham. Think about the trust that it took in his relationship with God. Think about Moses or Joshua. Think about Jonah who did not trust and ran. Think about Jesus' disciples. Think about these people that we know of in Scripture that maybe had times where they failed to trust. Last week, I admitted to you as a church that I have trust issues. I referenced that with the funny story about my wife giving me that strawberry cookie with my eyes closed. I didn't want to open my mouth. I was scared to death. I don't, I didn't trust that moment. I have trust issues when it comes to my barber. Not really these days. It's taking me three years to get through that. But what I realize is this. If I can add some more clarity, I don't think you're ready for this. The reality is I don't have trust issues. I have control issues. Pardon me just a minute. Let me bow down and pray. (laughs) Uh, I'm serious. Am I alone? I'm not alone. Please raise your hand and tell me I'm not alone. So those things are interconnected. My wife's like, oh, praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. (laughs) Uh, So I'm not alone because you have those same issues too. And it's not necessarily trust as much as it is your desire to control the circumstance. But our call, God says, if you're going to be my people, you've got to trust me. What else was he teaching them in the wilderness besides trusting and obedience? I love that old song and I sing it, hum it from time to time. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Listen to what it says in in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. I'll get louder if you want me to. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will straighten your path when I trust him. And when I don't lean on my own understanding and my own need for control, pray for me, y'all. <laughs> I'll pray for you. I mean, I do. Number three is this. God wants you to be obedient. So yes, God's okay with you being happy. That's not his end goal. He wants you to trust him. He also wants you to be holy and he wants you to obey him. Our obedience proves our trust for him proves our love rather for him we obey who we love or maybe you obey under threat of penalty and that's okay too you obey the speed limit not because you love the cop that's going to get you but because you love not going to jail right <laughs> but we obey him and when we obey him it shows that we love him and i'll prove it to you first john chapter 5 says this very thing In verse one, or uh, pardon me, in, yeah, verse one, it says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. If we read that too fast, go back. If we read that too fast, we'll miss a big point on unity. That simple phrase, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. The church better have unity and a mutual love for one another. Even those that don't believe every jot and tittle of what we believe, we must love them. In another place in scripture, the Bible tells us, actually God himself through Jesus says this, that the world out there will know that you're my kids in the way that you treat one another, in your love one for another. It goes on to say in verse two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're really not. It depends on your perspective and it depends on your attitude, your point of view when you're looking at them. But God clearly is making sure to let us know that we are not like the Jewish people of old, that if we fail in one infraction of the 613 laws that are put forth, that we would be absolutely destroyed and that God would no longer be in relationship with us. That is not true any longer. And so what we understand after Christ came to this earth and died to sacrifice himself as a holy sacrifice for us is that now when we come to him, we literally, I shared the verses last week, we can come to him, those who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give us rest. He says his commandments are not burdensome but his desire is obedience and our obedience to him proves our love to him. So if you love God, you'll obey him. Joy should be the constant characteristic of our daily lives. We should not as believers have those huge upswings and huge downswings because we have God. Amen. And because he wants to help us find joy. We can find joy when we're persecuted. We can still have joy in the midst of bankruptcy. You can have joy in the midst of being homeless. You can have joy. Those things and the stuff and even the people are not your source of joy. So think about that this week. Would you stand with me today? Maybe it strikes a chord in your heart to to say, you know, pastor, you're not alone. I have control issues and I'm, I'm struggling to let go of something in my life and let God handle it. Maybe that's just all you need to act on today. Or maybe there's an area of your life where you're not obeying him and you know better. See, we're not responsible for what we don't know. We're responsible for what we do know. But if you're struggling to obey or struggling to trust or struggling in an area of your life of being holy, God wants you to find joy by coming to him and saying, I can't do this without you. I need you. So my my challenge to you today is to trust him, to obey him, and to ask him to help make you holy. Would you close your eyes with me? I want to encourage you. We pray this prayer often here, but we say it like this. It's simple and sweet. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today?
this message had a few arrows and one of them could have hit any of your hearts in a different way than the person next to you. So as you felt the pull of the Holy Spirit, you felt that, then I encourage you to just give it over to him in prayer today. It can be as simple as, God, I need you. It can be as simple as, God, forgive me for not trusting you. I just want you to leave here today knowing that God does love you and that he does want you to have joy and that joy can only ever be found in him. I just want more, more of you, God, more of you, God. I just want more, I just want more.